0: well good evening and welcome again to our midweek bible study here at the lost river church of christ we're making our way through the ten commandments and today we're beginning our halfway point as we look at the fifth commandment but first let's do a little bit of a review remembering that the first commandment was that we will worship only the god who made us and redeemed us and i've put these in the first person so that you could say them together at home I will only worship the God who made me and redeemed me. And I mean, why would you worship anyone else? If you're, if there is a creator who's given you life and when you have repelled against him, loved you so much that he redeemed you out of the consequences, the shame and the guilt of what you had done, then why would you worship anyone else? Let's worship the God who made us and redeemed us. Secondly, I will worship him as he is. There's a tendency that we all have to recreate God in our own image and in our likeness, but instead we need to let God reveal himself to us in his word and through his son, and we need to worship him as he is. So let's take God as he is. I will worship him as he is. And thirdly, I will bear his name in earnest, for real. I'm not gonna take God lightly, And I'm not going to take the idea that I've put him on, put his mark on me, his name on me in baptism and becoming a Christian as something trivial or insignificant. It's meaningful. And I'm going to live that out in earnest. Then fourthly, I will seek rest with God. We seek rest somewhere. And we need to seek that rest in God. And so he said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we talked about how ultimately that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the rest that we find in him. So we're going to seek that rest with God. But today we're going to turn now to the fifth of these commandments in which uh, we make this statement. I will honor the authority that God has placed over me. I will honor the authority that God has placed over me. We all have uh, authority uh, figures in our life. Uh, many of them actually we have in our lives. And there's a tendency toward rebellion in all of us that doesn't want to do what we're told, that doesn't want to respect the authority of those who are over us in whatever realm we may be talking about and sometimes we do have to push against authorities that are either illegitimate in their very nature or that have somehow or other gotten off base the human heart to rush in that direction and and what we need to recognize is that there is god the ultimate authority but then there are intermediary authorities that god has put between himself and us and he has called upon us to regard and to respect, and as the scripture says, to honor, because here's what the commandment actually says. This is Exodus chapter 20 and beginning in verse 12. He says, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Now, our mothers and our fathers represent the primal or first authority in our lives as babies and then as small children and growing up uh, we have really any, no understanding of, of civil government or even of, of church government, or even maybe the concept of the authority of God is a bit too abstract for us as children to, to really comprehend. But even at the youngest age, we can begin to appreciate the fact that our parents have authority over us. And God says that he wants us to honor that authority to honor our mother and our father our father and our mother and we're going to go on a little bit later and notice what promise God has associated or tied to this this commandment but let's look a little bit at what is required in this commandment we're going to approach this study tonight in a couple of ways first we're going to uh, try to do it on a very basic level and something that will be understandable, I think, even to small children and all the way up through adolescence and those who are new to the faith. But then toward the end of the lesson, I want to make some applications of the principle that uh, will take it a little bit deeper. And uh, all of us who are Bible students, I think we'll be able to uh, learn something from that. So l- looking at this first, let's notice the word honor. The commandment is to honor, to show honor honor at its root the the hebrew word means to refers to something that has weight or that's heavy and the, the metaphorical significance of that is that it's significant so we're to take our parents as being heavy or meaningful or significant important in our lives so what that means is that as children god does not want us to blow our parents off. You can't blow off something that's heavy. If something has weight or significance, you can't blow it away. You can't say that's of no meaning. And that's, that's kind of the idea here. Don't think of your parents as being insignificant, unimportant, or that you can ignore or just blow them off, their word or their persons. They're significant in your life. They're heavy in your life. They're placed there by God for your good and benefit. And he wants you to take them seriously. So that's what God is telling us. He's telling us that as children, and really even as adults, I'm still a child. My mother and father are still living and I'm still called to to take them as being of significance in my life, not something light or unimportant, but something meaningful and weighty and of value in my life. And so all of us as children are called to honor our father and our mother. Now this word father and mother refers to our parents, the one who, are, who, who bring us up, who brought us into this world and who give us a home and provide for our needs and provide us with direction and, and rules to follow and examples to follow. And we all understand, I think, what it is to have a father and, and a mother. As we get toward the end of the lesson, we'll see that as most scholars indicate, there's a principle that is at work here that extends far beyond just our literal parents into the very idea of authority itself as something that we're to take seriously and honor in our lives. But let's honor our parents and children in particular uh, who are still at home. We wanna honor our parents. In fact, we wanna look a little bit more closely tonight as to what does it look like to honor your parents what does it mean for you who are children at home first we'll look at older folks here in just a moment but as those of you who are still living at home or who are dependent upon your parents what does honoring your mother and father look like for you well one of the things that it means is that you obey your parents when you're at home you're under their authority and you're still dependent upon them they provide you with food You wouldn't get very far without that they provide you with clothing they give you a home and shelter to live in they protect you from dangers many of which you may not even be aware of and so your parents are very important in your life and god calls you to be obedient to your mother and father that means when they tell you something that you are to do it and obedience really means not just that you do it but you do it grudgingly that you do it while stomping your feet, or that you do it with a sullen attitude. But obedience that God's calling us to is a cheerful obedience. And really kids, I want to encourage you to begin to develop the habit, cultivate the, the habit of responding to the commands of your parents swiftly or quickly doing it right away. With a smile on your face with a cheerful attitude you're told what to do and you say yes ma'am yes sir and you quickly go and do the task that you've been asked to perform and you do it as well as you can and i ask you to do that just not so you can make it easier on your parents this commandment is for their benefit yes but it's even more so for your benefit A child who learns to be obedient to his mother and father, to honor his mother and father, be respectful to them in this way, is developing a character, an attitude, and a habit of life that will serve you well when you go to school and you have to be obedient to your teachers. And you'll do better in school if you've learned this principle from your parents than if you had ignored it. And when you get your first job and you're asked by your employer, your boss to do certain things sometimes that you don't want to do or you don't see why you should have to do that, but you've trained yourself to respond quickly and cheerfully and to do the job as well as you can. Believe me, your boss is going to notice that it's going to separate you, differentiate you from the crowd, from the other kids who didn't learn to honor their parents. You're going to have an advantage over them as you have learned this principle and put it into practice in the workplace and you'll advance more quickly than your coworkers and your peers because of this. When you are encountering uh, people in government and the police officer pulls you over and you respond to his orders in a prompt and cheerful way, you're much less likely to run into trouble with the cops than you will if you're sullen or disobedient to the commands that they're, they're giving you. So as a child, it's really important for you to begin to learn to be swift to hear and quick to obey what your parents do and that you do it with a cheerful attitude because that's going to help you out in life. And ultimately, as you become an adult and you're fully responsible for your own life and nobody's telling you what to do. Again, you're going to have developed some habits and attitudes that are going to enable you to govern and control yourself better than you would before. And you're going to thrive in life in ways that you can't imagine if you'll just simply do what God's encouraging us to do here and be obedient to your parents and show them honor in that way. But secondly, it means respect and we're going to go more quickly now. Respect your parents. Don't roll your eyes at your parents. I know that's a temptation. I did it some as a kid, but it's not healthy and it really isn't good. And it is disobedient to what God's calling you to do here. Don't roll your eyes, stomp your feet, shout at your parents. Don't talk about your parents behind their back to your friends as if your parents are dumb, that they don't know what's going on or what's uh, good uh, for them, for for you. Uh, Show them that kind of respect. That's what God's calling us to do. And then be grateful. Be grateful to your parents. I want you to cultivate again this attitude of thinking about what mom and dad have done for you. Much more than you can realize, your parents make sacrifices. They spend money that they could spend on things that they want for themselves, for you. They take time that they could spend doing something that interests them in order to help you. Um, your, Your mother has gone through indescribable pain just to bring you into existence in this world. All of these things and a thousand more are reasons why you should not only obey and respect them, but you should actually develop in your heart an ability to be grateful for them and you know one of the ways to be happy in life in fact it's a happiness multiplier if you want to be 10 times happier than you are right now cultivate an attitude of gratitude every day spend some time thinking about what your parents have done for you that you're grateful for and then don't let it just kind of sit there in your mind but actually go to your parents and tell them What they have done that you're thankful for that you appreciate your parents are going to pass out when they hear you saying you're going to make them happier and feel better their attitude towards you is going to improve and you'll find that your attitude toward them is improving and your relationship gets better and everyone is is happier and the world just becomes a better place so god loves you and he wants what's best for you And he tells you to honor your parents, and you can can do that as a child by being obedient, respectful, and grateful. But what about as older children, people like me who still have parents, or maybe even if your parents have, have passed away, what are our responsibilities in terms of showing honor to our parents? Well, the respect and the gratitude continue. I still need to respect my parents for who they are and for what they've done for me, which is incalculable. And I need to express that gratitude to them because, you know, if if I don't tell them regularly how much I appreciate them, on their end, it feels like ingratitude. Even if I feel grateful, but I don't tell them how I'm grateful for what they've done and who they are, then it's going to feel on their end like I'm ungrateful for it. So I, as an adult parent, still need child, still need to respect and show gratitude to my parents. But there's another thing that replaces obedience. We're not called as as adult children to do everything that our parents tell us to do. We're to, especially as we move out of the house, maybe we get married, we leave our father and mother, we cleave to our spouse and we establish a a new home and we become self-governing. So it's not that we're obedient to our older parents. But we may, as they grow older, need to support our parents, and I know that this is one of the ways in which we show them honor. Because Jesus, in uh, I think it's Mark the seventh chapter, really gets after the Pharisees because they had created some rules that help them maneuver around showing honor to your aging parents. They said that instead of providing financially for your aging parents, if if the temple or the, the priests came and and said, Hey, we need a donation and you gave them money. Then when your parents needed something, you could say, well, Hey, what I was going to give to you, I devoted to God. And so I don't owe you anything. Jesus actually, uh, and this may surprise you. If you think of Jesus as the original hippie, the first flower child, he actually said people who do that kind of thing are worthy of death. We need to honor our parents and we can't substitute the rules that men come up with as an excuse for not honoring them. Loving God means loving your neighbor and your, one of your first neighbors that you owe honor and love to are your parents. And as they age, they may require support financially, emotionally, otherwise, and we need to be there for them like they have been there for us as children. This is God's plan. It's a beautiful thing to think about how he cares for us as human beings, as parents taking care of our children and as children taking care of our parents when they can no longer take care of themselves. So we we have all of this, but I want to consider before we come to the more um, theoretical part of this, the deeper part, One more practical thing and that is how parents can help their children fulfill this commandment how can we as parents of children who are still at home help them be obedient or be respectful and be uh, honoring toward us as their parents this is really uh, helpful i think to consider We, we can first of all try to be honorable You know it's a really hard thing and you know this when you're under the authority of someone who really doesn't deserve your respect who hasn't earned your respect have you ever had a job where the boss was just not a good person uh, who gave a lot of orders but didn't actually do keep his end of the bargain and how difficult it was to just force yourself to do anything that they required you to do and there was no real loyalty there. You just did it out of a sense of a paycheck and you don't want to create an environment in your home where your children don't respect you because you're disrespect, you're, you're not worthy of respect. And what you're actually doing is putting a stumbling block in the path of your child because their first perception of God is filtered through you. And if, God's requiring them to honor you, but you're a dishonorable person, then you're making it very difficult for them to ever have a concept of God as being someone that they should respect and honor. So strive with all that's within you as a parent to be an honorable person as it relates to the way that you're bringing up your children. And secondly, show honor to your parents. If your parents are still living, behave in front of your children toward your parents in a way that shows that you honor them, it's really difficult for you to model disrespect to your aging parents and then expect them to show honor and respect to you. And so we can show them how this is done by the way we speak about and behave toward our own parents. And even if your parents have passed away, you can still show respect to them by the way you talk about them and the stories that you tell that give honor to your ancestors, to your parents and your grandparents that have gone before you and cause your children to see the value that you place on them. And that will be something that they inherit and perhaps will show respect to you. You know, we, we grow, and we learn more by imitation than anything else we imitate the behaviors we see in others. And when they see you respecting your parents, you're providing the pattern for them to imitate and respecting you. But then let's talk a little bit more about respect for authority in general, because I think that that is in part what's involved in this commandment. Most scholars and, and commentators uh, will, will bear this out. That when God says, honor your father and your mother, Your father and your mother, well, there's a literal application of that, and that's what we've been talking about. But there is this greater principle of showing respect for authority that exists within our lives. There's there's all kinds of authority. In fact, God talks about three different, um, establishes three different realms, I guess, if you will, of, of authority in the world and in human relationships. There's the authority of the home that God ordained from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when he established the family unit. And there is real authority that exists in mothers and fathers, in parents, and children are to honor and obey that authority. And then there is the authority of the civil government. And the scripture teaches us that we are to honor the king, that we are to respect those governing authorities that are put over us, that they've been placed there, it says, by God. And so for us to just have a rebellious attitude in general, but toward civil government or those in authority or the police or whatever other uh, authorities that God has put in place in society to, to maintain order and to stave off chaos, is something that we are called to, to respect and to honor. And then there's uh, religious authority as well. And the, the church is a is a government, if you will, that we as Christians live in and we live under. And God has ordained that there be elders uh, over congregations. And one of the words that is used to describe uh, elders is that they are to, to rule. Um, Now that obviously as elders can can be abused. And we're going to talk about that kind of thing in a a few moments. But it doesn't negate the fact that there is a real authority there that is to be respected by all who are under it. And and speaking as an elder, I want to make sure that I affirm this. While God's given me a, a measure of authority as an elder, I'm also a member of the Lost River Church of Christ. And I personally am to submit myself to the elders as well. And if you think for one minute that the elders always do what I tell them to do or what I think they should do, uh, you're, you're quite mistaken. As you can imagine, all of us sometimes disagree on any number of things. But when we come to that consensus, as we understand God's will for us and what's best, then we are all individually called to submit to that decision. And so we recognize and respect the authority that God's put over our lives parentally and civil government, and then also in terms of the religious sphere or the church in which we live. In the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter, we're told to to uh, obey and and regard those who are over us in the Lord and to esteem them highly for their works sake. So this general concept is extremely important for us to understand. And yet we recognize that those authorities let me back up a second. We recognize that those authorities, the religious and the civil and even parental authorities, while they are real and while they are God given are not absolute. They're not absolute authorities. Only God's authority is absolute. God through Jesus Christ, through his word delivered through the apostles is an absolute authority in our life. And it becomes the ultimate standard by which we measure all of these other authorities, but their authorities are nonetheless real. So yet because they are given by God, they're legitimate. And yet because they are, they're lived out, by men people they're also imperfect and are in constant need of revision and update and correction here's what I'm trying to say parental authority is God-given but it's not absolute sometimes parents require of their children things that they shouldn't and as a child comes to a, an age of, of recognizing the difference between what mom and dad is saying and what God requires of them, there can be conflict and it could even become the obligation of a child to disobey his parents in deference to fulfilling uh, their obligation to the greater authority, which is God. And certainly civil government can become um, overbearing or it can require of its citizens that are improper and wrong. And a Christian citizen living in that kind of country, because he does actually respect authority, will disregard the abuse of authority in those ways. We see many examples of this in the Bible. The prophets in the Old Testament were often speaking against the authority, the existing authority structures within the, the, the nation of Israel and around the world because of their abuse of power. And we see Jesus doing the same thing as it regards the the priests uh, of his day and the Pharisees who were the religious authorities in his time. And even the apostles speak about the fact that while we are to honor the king, we must not worship the king, even if the king requires it. Because worship, as we've seen in the first commandment, is reserved only for the one who made us and who redeems us. And so we see that these lesser authorities can go astray and be askew, and we may not be able to yield obedience and honor to them uh, the way that we would to God, even though their authority is real. So when when that happens, what do we do? What do we do when there is an authority in our life that isn't what it ought to be? What's our responsibility? Well, there's two ways that people approach this. This is very relevant, I think, for the times that we're living in today. There's revolution and there's reformation. Revolution seeks to overthrow authority. This appeals to that darker part of our human nature that just that just is troubled and stirred up and pushes back against any kind of authority in my life. It's that strong willed child that just will not disobey mom and dad just because I don't want to do what I'm told to do. And it grows up into adolescence and rebels or it grows up and turns into uh, uh, movements that try to overthrow government because we prefer an anarchy or we're going to just absolutely topple the existing order in order that we may establish an order that we like and position ourselves at the apex of the hierarchical structure or that because of the fact that there are abuses in religion and the churches sometimes and often do go astray. We just reject the whole notion of religion altogether, or we don't agree with everything going on at our church, and so we just decide to, to to get rid of it and start something something else altogether. And I'm not saying that in any of those instances that there's an absolute here. There are a few occasions when it is appropriate to revolt when there's nothing left that is redeemable. But there is a tendency again in the human heart to seek this far earlier than is necessary. I think we see a lot of that going on in our country right now. Truly, there are things about our civil government and the history of our country that are reprehensible and things that need to be changed and things that we should not be satisfied with the way that they are. But to say that the solution to that is overthrow the government to bring in Anarchy is a foolhardy thing and probably would bring far more disaster upon us than we can possibly imagine, especially the ones often who are fomenting that kind of thing. And so we need to be able to do something that recognizes and critiques what's wrong with a society or what's wrong with an institution or an authority that's over us and works to bring it into alignment with what it needs to be rather than just trying to throw it off altogether. And that's where the word reformation, I think is really helpful to reform something that has become disfigured. We're going to form it back into what it ought to be. And so reformation seeks to heal and to restore legitimate authority. I think this is um, to give a little bit of a history lesson. One of the differences that you could see about this is if you wanted to do a case study is look at the difference between the American Revolution as it's called, though I'm not sure that that's exactly the right word, and the French Revolution that followed shortly thereafter. The American Revolution, the reason I hesitate to use the word revolution is because I think it was a war for independence in which not saying that everything about it was was right and justifiable, but at its heart, there was a desire for good government that the the people in the colonies were not getting. They needed to be able to uh, go to court. They needed to be able to redress grievances. They needed to be able to have secure uh, environment to live in, to pursue life and liberty and to pursue one's interest. And the things that a government is supposed to do were completely absent And so finally, the desire to establish a government that would provide what a government needs to provide for its people uh, instigated the revolution as it's often called. Whereas in France, you had much more the idea of adolescents who are just trying to throw off the yoke of authority altogether religious authority, governing authority, parental authority. It it ran amok, and it was shown to be the case by the the reign of terror and the the bloodletting that just went on uh, as as the revolutionaries began to turn on each other. And it was it was a horrible, horrible time. In fact, the only way that it ultimately was able to be put back into the box was for a tyrant uh, Napoleon to, to rise up who could restore order to a chaotic situation. And that's generally what happens when we seek the way of revolution. You know, you might look at it this way. If, if the, f- the radical feminist movement that has been going on in the world for some time now, sees an abuse of men in, in, in marriage, for instance, and the solution becomes radical to smash the patriarchy and to even abolish the whole idea of marriage altogether as uh, an irredeemably oppressive institution. That's the way of revolution. And I think in the long run, if that way were adopted, it would not go well, not only for men, but it would prove to be an utter disaster for women as well. The way of the Christian would be to look at an abusive husband or a abusive husband culture if that exists, is to specify what it is that is wrong and then institute reforms to correct it. And specifically, the scriptures tell us husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that's what we should call husbands to do, to not abuse their power and authority in that relationship, but to use it to serve and love their wives. And that's to reform marriage when it goes off the rails. You know, we might look at other problems that exist in our culture today. And, and certainly there are serious things that need to be corrected in America. But again, the solution to defund the police, to overthrow the existing structures of government and our constitution itself, in order to replace it with something who knows what in its place that's the way of revolution and it will end in incredible bloodshed and loss for everyone involved whereas reformation looks at the situation tries to specifically identify what the problems are and implement real solutions that can improve the lives and well-being of all people concerned because god wants there to be order in society and so we need to be able to critique it where it needs to be critiqued but um not throw the baby out with the the bathwater. I think before we criticize any authority, we need to first ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first thing we need to do is ask, how well am I governing myself? How well do I govern myself? Because when you think about it, if you're critiquing an authority over you, you're in, in essence saying, you know, I could do a better job myself. If, if I were in that position, this is what I would do. But what asking ourselves this question does is, is helps us say, well, you know, would I really do any better if I were in that position when my own life is a mess, when I can't even clean my own room, when I can't get along with my siblings, I'm at odds with my parents. Uh, I, I, you know, everything that I touch is, is kind of a mess. And the interesting thing is that often people who are given to revolution are people whose own personal lives are completely a mess. And yet we seek to criticize those who have larger realm of responsibility than ourselves. If I took the things that are under my control and blew them up into a larger sphere, the one that I'm criticizing above me, I would create a bigger mess than the one I'm trying to to uh, this, than the one I'm trying to fix. And so the point of this question is, I, I need to do some introspection and fix myself before I undertake to reform or revolutionize something above me. And then secondly, and just as important, what am I grateful for? Well, there may be a lot of problems in our world and in our church and in our country and in our family, things that truly could be improved, things that are rightfully criticized. But before I'm really in a position to do that well, I need to first be able to enumerate the things I'm thankful for. What has my country given me? I don't care how bad you've been mistreated or or, or how wrong things, how much you've been wronged. There are nevertheless things about this country or your family or your church that have been blessings to you, that have helped you. And until you're able to clearly identify and feel gratitude for those things, you're in no position to be able to criticize or replace it with something else. And so let's Look at ourselves, learn to govern ourselves better. Then when we are given greater authority, we'll be prepared to exercise that authority appropriately. And let's learn to practice gratitude for what we have. So as we wrap up, the whole commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, reads like this. Honor your father and mother, that's the command. And then it comes with a promise, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you now that was a promise originally made to the children of israel that if there were respectable honorable mothers and fathers who loved the lord their god and knew his law and taught that to their children they would create a culture over generations that would thrive and prosper there would be harmony There would be productivity. There would be respect for all of the governing authorities that, that God had put in place around them. And they would be able to live in their land and prosper. And that's what God wanted for Israel. He tells them as much in the book of Deuteronomy. But we know that ultimately they weren't honorable and they didn't honor their parents and the culture came unraveled. And eventually they lost the land and were taken into exile. It's interesting because in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, God take uh, the Paul, the apostle takes the same promise and applies it to Christians and tells fathers to bring up their children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord and children to obey their parents for this is right. And then he makes this promise. He says, it's the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and you would have long life on the earth. And I think the idea is that for any culture to survive and thrive and retain its standing in the world, this principle has to be heeded. Where there are not honorable people being respected and honored by those who are under their authority, society fragments and comes apart. And so let us as Christians strive to be honorable, and strive to honor the authority that God has put in our lives in order that we might receive his promise of a blessing of living long in the land, of not being destroyed as a people and losing everything that our forefathers have worked to build. Let's close again with a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, you are the authority above all authorities, and you have granted authority to your son jesus christ our lord and savior and we ask father that you give us hearts that are obedient hearts that are respectful and hearts that are grateful for you and for your son and for all that you've done for us and may that core gratitude flow out into our other relationships with the authorities that you've put over our lives may we respect them and honor them highly for the place that they occupy in society. And may we, as we gain authority in this world, seek to be honorable and worthy of the respect that others would show us. And we ask it all once again in the name of Jesus and amen.